in our series of following Jesus, a bit like Pilgrim's Progress, except a more modern title. Issues, topics that relate to, to following Jesus. We're looking at the, the topic of needing to remember that God loves us. There's an old hymn that goes by the, the, the chorus is, tell me the old, old story of Jesus and his love. We need to hear this old, old story over and over. People often want to hear new things, new exciting or interesting things, but we need to hear the same, same old story over and over again of God and his love for us. talking about the topic of love have you ever heard the story of the woman who asks her husband do you love me and he replies sure told you at our, where, at our wedding that I loved you do I have to keep saying it over and over <laughs> yes we have to keep reaffirming our love for the, our loved ones whether it's a husband and wife whether it's a boyfriend girlfriend whether it's parents and children we need to keep affirming. We need to keep reminding. And so we need to remind ourselves. And this morning we're reminding ourselves of how God loves us. In the musical Fiddler on the Roof, the Jewish father Topol ponders his five daughters. As one by one they fall in love. They get engaged. And they're getting married or have been married. And after all of the the turmoil, all the activity of bringing up the children, he eventually starts thinking about his own marriage. After 25 years of providing, of bringing up the children, he asks his wife, Goldie, do you love me? And she scolds him. Uh, what are you thinking? Don't be silly. Don't talk about such things. It's but he persists. Apparently, they didn't have much of a good communication between them. He persists. And she replies by asking him, does 25 years of caring for him, of cooking, keeping house, of being faithful to him, and so on, does that not prove how much she loves him? Has he taken her for granted? So he asks again, do you love me? He knows that she does, but he wants to hear it. And we know that God loves us, but we still need to hear it. When adults feel that maybe they need reassurance of their loved one's love, as equals in a relationship, they ask each other, like Topol asked his wife. But when it comes to children, they look for their parents' love, but they're not approaching their parents as an equal. They often don't feel as though they can ask, Mom, Dad, do you love me? They're often unsure of their parents' love, or they're too shy or afraid to ask. And sometimes it's the child who's in most need of reassurance, who's often the child who's most reluctant to ask for it. 
One of the saddest things in the world is to see a child who is looking for their father's approval, looking for acceptance, looking for love, and yet the father doesn't even catch the child's eye so often. And when he does focus on them, it's to scold them off for being a nuisance or having done something wrong. And the silent, deep yearning of for love and acceptance goes unfulfilled day after day, year after year. The child grows up insecure, always looking for what has been missing. There's an underlying sadness, a void that other relationships can't fulfill. Substance abuse, ambition, pleasure, entertainment, these things all cannot fulfill. There's a very famous example of this. Princess Grace of Monaco, she had the adulation of the world years ago. She was a world-famous actress, being one of Alfred Hitchcock's most favourite actresses, starring in a number of his films. In a real-life fairy tale, she married Prince Renier of Monaco, a small principality at the south of France. It was known as the wedding of the century. It was bigger than Diana getting married at the time, Princess Diana later on. She was a remarkable woman. She'd done, she'd earned an Academy Award, an Oscar, Golden Globes. She had averted a diplomatic crisis, secured the future of Monaco when it was threatened by its neighbor, closest neighbor. And yet she died sadly in a car crash in 1982. Despite being one of the, at one point, the highest paid actress in Hollywood and arguably at the time the most famous woman in the world, she, despite having the adulation of so many fans all around the world, she didn't have the love from the one person who she sought it from, her father. She sought his approval more than anyone else's. He'd been a very successful, well, athlete first. He won three gold medals in the Olympics. He'd become a successful businessman. But the children had to compete for his love. They had to outdo each other to try and get a bit of his love. And he did not like the role that she ended up taking, acting. She thought it was, he thought it was beneath her. One of her friends said that he viewed her career choice as a slim cut above a streetwalker. One person who did a documentary on her said she was always seeking the approval of her father. She didn't find much love from her mother either, who was very disciplinarian. And yet, isn't that so sad that somebody is seeking the love of which could so easily be given? And how many men, how many young men have grown up without the love of a father, even the presence of a father at times. And psychologists tell us that many teenagers and young men respond with a great deal of anger, rejection and sadness and go off the rails. And many children who haven't experienced the love of a father or a mother end up not being able to understand how God can love them because they haven't experienced that love. 
as we celebrate Mother's Day today, we remember the special bond that mothers have with their children. And while not every woman is a mother, every woman is a daughter to their mother. And one of the most important things in their lives is the love of their mother, as well as that of their father. How many of us, how many people, when we don't get the love that we expect, sometimes we expect more than is reasonable. Sometimes we're not willing to receive. Sometimes we're looking in the wrong places for the love we ought to get. Sometimes we're trying to make up for the lack of love from parents in other things. And how many times have we made sinful choices to try and compensate? And sometimes lives can can go off in terrible directions. If only we had had that true love of a parent, of a mum, of a dad. It's one, one of the most reassuring things that someone can experience. The assurance, the acceptance, the peace, the stability, the happiness, the joy, even during difficult times. In many ways, the love between mother and child, father and child, that bond that they have or ought to have ought to point us to the greater and deeper bond which we ought to have with God, with God the Father, and which God wants us to have as followers of Christ. And yet too many people turn to God only when things go wrong in life, when they don't get the love they needed from their parents. It's either we're satisfied with our parents, we don't need God, or we turn to him as a last resort. Instead, even if people do get that love from their parents, we ought to see that love as a taster, as a sample of the greater love that we can get from God the Father. The love of God towards us. He often gives it to us in little samples through love from other people from friends, from neighbours, from those who are charitable, from from parents. And yet, that need that is within us for the love from a parent is actually ultimately not fulfilled by a parent. Ultimately, it is fulfilled by the love of God. Our need for a parent's, a father's or mother's love points us to our deeper need to be fulfilled with the love of God. Because our need for love and fulfillment from a parent is actually just a a visible, tangible example of our need for love from God, we can actually have that need fulfilled even if we don't have it in some way from parents. We can have it fulfilled from our Heavenly Father and His love for us. Some people think, I need both but ultimately we only need the Father's love. He gives us a little sample, a little example, a taster of it through parents, but ultimately that is meant to point us to him. 
if you're old enough, you'll remember times when supermarkets, when you're going along a supermarket and they'll, there'll be somebody there with uh, a tray of samples and on the end of a cocktail stick, they'll give you a sample of food to taste. And if you like it, you can buy the big real thing. Well, a lot of time when we were in supermarkets, they'd run out. <laughs> you just see used cocktail sticks and think, I wish I'd had a bit of that. But imagine if somebody was offering you the real thing, the large version, not the tiny little portion, but the big portion for free. You wouldn't worry about not missing out on the small portion. And so, in a sense, when we can get the love of God directly in its fullness, even if we've missed out on the love of a parent, We've got the real thing, the greater thing, which can fill that gap that is inside us. Grace Kelly was always seeking her father's love and she felt rejected as a result of not having it. She had a void inside which she always wanted to have filled. But the good news is that that void doesn't need to be filled just by a father's love or a mother's love. It can be filled by God's love. Grace Kelly didn't need to go through her teenage years, her adult years, constantly seeking the approval of her father, regretting on what she had missed out on. She could have had that inner need met by the infinite love of God for her. In the same way, again, as if somebody goes into a posh restaurant and they're having a glass of wine, the waiter will pour a little tiny taste into a glass. That's only a taster. And when they say that's wonderful, give me the bottle. In the same way, when we experience the love of a father or a mother, that's a little taster that points us to want much more the love of God towards us. God gives us parents as an example of his love for us. And we thank God for parents. We thank God for loving and caring parents. But if we haven't had them, we can have even the greater love, the love of God in Christ Jesus. How can we know this love? Let's look at some of the Bi what the Bible tells us. And let's remind ourselves of God's love for us. The first thing is that God is love. 1 John 4 verse 8. Love isn't something that God does. It's not just an activity that he does. Love is something that he is. Now, we can never really get our heads around that. The father loves the son. The son loves the father. And both have a loving relationship with the spirit. Within the Godhead, within the Trinity, there is love. God is love. Jesus said that he does the Father's will so that the world will know that I love the Father. Jesus loved the Father and the Father loved the Son. God loves, God is love. So when we come to God, we needn't have the impression that he's a stern a stern God, a stern father figure 
We shouldn't think of them along the lines of stern earthly father figures. Yes, there is a, the justice of God, the wrath of God, but there's also the love of God. Justice is something that God upholds, but love is something that God is. Secondly, God loves us in Christ Jesus. In his mercy and his grace towards us, he extends this love to us. That this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. Too often people have looked at the cross, have looked at the gospel and seen it simply as a get out of jail free card, get out of eternity free card. It's like you're up in court and you just need to be acquitted. You need a good lawyer, you need a good defense. That's what the gospel does. It's far more than that. It's not just about getting off the hook. In the gospel, we... We, be, we who, are, who are guilty, we become innocent. We who are unrighteous become righteous in Christ. We are changed. We become new people. And we receive the righteousness of Christ. And it is out of love for us that God has sent his only son to die on the cross so that we would not perish, but have eternal life. It's out of love for us that God didn't want to give us the punishment for our sin. It's out of love for us that Christ came, walked in our shoes, he suffered in our place on the cross. And he went through all of that out of love for us. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. It wasn't because there was anything that we had done that we deserved his love. He did it when there was nothing for us to deserve it. Again, Paul says that God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Whenever people are giving out gifts to others, whenever people are choosing who to be charitable towards, they often look for something in a charity or something in a person that deserves receiving some charity, receiving some help, receiving some love. Maybe it's because we identify with that person. Maybe it's because we see them having done something good They've done what they can to help improve their situation. Yeah, let's give them an extra hand. But when it came to God's love for us, there was nothing of that. We didn't do anything that could merit God's love. It's not conditional upon what we have done or what we will do. God's love for us is unconditional. We can't earn the Father's love for us. The good news is we don't have to. He loves us unconditionally. He loves us with a, a love which is so deep and so pure that says that we ought not even to try to earn it because that would 
minimize its value. That would equate his love as a payment for what we could do. There's nothing we could do that could pay for it, that would equate to it. We have to simply accept it as a gift. God's love for us is not because we're more talented, we're more good, we're not as bad, or there's nothing about us, in us, that deserves God's love. And that is so reassuring because when there's times that we think, I've had a bad week, I've been going through a bad time, I've, I've backslidden, God can't love me now. And therefore, we might be tempted to think even more destructively and get into a, a vicious spiral, a downward spiral. We ought not to think that, our, that God's love for us is dependent upon our actions. There's nothing, Philip Yancey writes, that we can do to make God love us more. And there's nothing we can do to make God love us any less. His love is not conditional upon anything we do. It's a gift. It's by grace. It's mercy. Our Heavenly Father adopts wayward children as his own. When you consider that God's love for us is not something simply that he does as an act of charity. We would give to a charity, we would do something, donate something or make a donation of, if not in kind, goods, food, clothes, we would give money towards a charity. But it's a very, very different thing than giving something to somebody far off or even near. It's a very different thing to actually bring them into your family and to make them part of your family, to adopt them into your own family. God isn't simply charitable to us. He adopts us into his own family. We enter into a new relationship with him through faith. He came to his own people. Jesus came to the, the Jews and they, even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. The gospel is such a wonderful message. It doesn't matter where we've started off in life. It doesn't matter whether we've been privileged with great parents or even the worst of parents or if we've struggled in any way in, in between that spectrum. It's not about how we have started off. It's not about anything that, that we have experienced or anything that we have done. Our acceptance before God is based upon his love for us. There's nothing we can do to deserve it. And there's nothing we can do to not deserve it, to not receive it. It doesn't matter how dysfunctional our life has been. It doesn't matter how ungodly our life has been. It doesn't matter how godly we may have been either. Pride is actually a barrier to us receiving God's love. It's simply that all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. We become children of God not because of what we can bring to him, but because of what he gives to us as a gift.
Paul continues in Romans 8, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. That word Abba is nothing to do with a pop group. It's it's a word that translated into English is some, somewhere be, between a more formal papa, as people used to say in, in the past, or a more informal daddy. It's somewhere in between those two. But the point is, it is an affectionate way of, descri- of relating and dressing God as father. It's not God, <clears throat> the judge, God Almighty. It's God the one who is close to us, the one who is approachable, the one who we can come to as dearly beloved children. Although we might have come to God in the past with doubt as to whether he would accept us, once we trust in Jesus, we come to God as our heavenly father. We are part of his family. We are his children. And we know that he loves us and cares for us. And the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. And God cares for us. <coughs> How can we illustrate the care of God, the heart of God towards towards us? Can you imagine a a mother just smiling at her little child, a year old, holding her little child in her arms, smiling at her baby as she gently brushes its hair with her hand and thinks about what this child will be like in three years, 13 years, and 30 years, what their life will be like. A mom's thoughts, a dad's thoughts towards their, their young child, full of love, full of hope, full of, care they think about them they think about them a lot God thinks about us much more than that he thinks about each one of us much more than that if you've trusted in God that loving care that a parent could give you you have that a thousand a million times more from God he knows all about us It's not just that we're one amongst the crowd. He knows every detail of our lives. Even the very hairs on our head, they're all numbered. He knows every freckle we have. He knows every hair on our head. He knows everything about us. And we come to him knowing that he cares for us and that he will provide for us. Jesus tells us not to be worried about our everyday life, our basic necessities that God will provide. Why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wild flowers that are here today and thrown to the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? The pictures that we have of God in the Bible, for those who turn to whom to Him, 
are pictures of care, provision, protection. Like an eagle that rouses her chicks and hovers over her young, so he spreads his wings to take them up and carry them safely on his pinions. God cares for us. Even the, just like the care of a mom and dad towards a child illustrate God's love towards us. So the care of a, a mother hen, a mother bird towards her chicks is an illustration of God's love towards us. He cares for you. You might not think you deserve it, but it's not about deserving, it's unconditional. You might think you do deserve it. That's wrong. There's nothing we can do that would deserve God's love. We need to humble ourselves and gratefully receive it and give all our worries and cares to God for he cares about you. He doesn't just care for his people in general. He cares for you as well. And what's more, he delights in us. One of the glories of the gospel is that no matter where we have come from, that does not define us. God delights in us because he is recreating us anew. He is transforming us. He sees us through the eyes of Christ because we are now in Christ. In some cultures, only the oldest boy or the oldest girl in a family is privileged. They inherit the family business, the farm, whatever. They are the apple of their mum's eye or their father's eye. But in God's family, everyone is treated the same. Each one of us is the apple of God's eye. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty saviour. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. He will rejoice over you with singing. God doesn't delight in us and, and look at us and say, how wonderful we are. I'll have you in my family. He says, come as you are into my family and I will transform you and I will take pleasure in you. These words apply to us individually as well as together as God's people, the church, the body of Christ. God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. You might be thinking, well, if God really knew what was going on in my mind at times, he wouldn't be rejoicing over me. If he knew what I'm capable of doing or what I have done, he wouldn't love me. But that's thinking about how much we deserve God's love. That's based upon works. That's based upon worldly thinking of deserving, getting a reward of God's love. But God's love is not a reward for the good things we have done. It is not withheld because of the bad things we have done. God's love to us is given by grace. Undeserved mercy, undeserved favour. If, if we've trusted in Jesus, all our sins have been cancelled, already atoned for. We are righteous, we are acceptable, we are pure and perfect in his eyes. We still struggle with the old nature, but 
he has a plan that that one day will be gone as well. The reason we can know that God loves us unconditionally is that all of our sin has been suffered on the cross. Jesus came. He went to the cross in our place. He suffered that eternity of punishment for our sin, all compressed down onto those few hours on the cross when even the sun went dark. When Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We will never be able to unpack those words fully. But imagine a child being deserted by their parent. Not just deserted, imagine a child being rejected by their parent. That is awful enough. But imagine God the Son being rejected by God the Father. The Son who had known an eternity in in the past of a loving relationship with the Father being rejected. Not just being rejected, being punished being punished for our sin, taking our sin upon himself. He became the sinner. He became the thief. He became the abuser. He became the dictator. He became the unfaithful one and suffered that rejection, that punishment that that deserves. God's dearly beloved son was temporarily banished from that fellowship in the Godhead The father turned his back on him. Jesus didn't just suffer the physical pain of a crucifixion. Jesus suffered the separation, the rejection from the father. And that's what our sin deserves. But the gospel is that Christ suffered it so that we need not. He received the rejection of the Father so that we can receive the acceptance of the Father. He suffered so that we could be forgiven. And we are just asked to just come as we are and accept God as our Heavenly Father to trust in Jesus. And there'll be people from all nations, people from all tribes, all languages, all sectors of society, all backgrounds, all kinds of sin, all coming together into this new family whom God delights in. If we have known that love of God, we should rejoice in it and give thanks to God for it for his love for us. If we haven't known that love of God yet, we should should turn to him now. There's nothing to stop us. He has made the way plain for us. We just need to look to Jesus, to trust in him. If the love of God doesn't attract us to him, well, maybe the punishment of God will turn us to him out of fear of that. But whatever way we turn to God, we will then know his love towards us. And then let us love others too. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. 
Let us love not only God, but let's love our neighbour as ourselves as well, as a result of knowing his love for us. And he keeps telling us over and over, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. His love is not fickle, it is faithful. And it endures forever. Let's just end with the words of Paul in Romans 8. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your unconditional love towards us. We thank you that that you love us because Christ has suffered on the cross in our place. We thank you that you love us here and now, but you've got ahead such a wonderful future where there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, and you will wipe yourself, every tear from our eyes. Dear Father, forgive us our sins. Help us to know and appreciate and and sense your love for us in Christ Jesus. And help us to live for you out of gratitude. In Jesus' name, Amen.